Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 13th of December of 2017. I am Nick here with Chris. What's going on, man? You you look you look cold. Uh, yeah, I look cold. I look tired. There's a lot of things, Nick. So uh, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. That, okay. Uh, story uh, time. Yeah, it's story time. This is a happy story, too. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So uh, it's finals week for me. Uh, so I'm studying for a lot of finals and I've been up. Did you have to take a test on your birthday, Chris? Uh, no, I didn't have to take a test on my birthday. Okay. But, uh, I had to deal with a lot more on my birthday as I'm about to get to. So I've been studying for these finals. A lot of them have been kind of involving me staying up till late in the morning, usually like two, three, four AM sometimes. And then usually up by like six or eight, depending on the day, depending on what I have to do. And... I don't get great sleep as, as to begin with, so it's been a little rough on me, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. So it's Sunday night. I have a, uh, my, my math final the next morning at 9 a.m. So I, I'm up to about 2.33 doing, like, trying to work on just about the end of the, uh, the like, review I have to do. And I still got a little bit left, but I'm just so exhausted. I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go to bed now. I'm going oh, no. to set a alarm for myself. Oh no! I'm going to wake up at like six or so, and oh, then no. that gives me enough time to finish the alarm. Uh, the oh review. no! Uh, just wait to finish the review and then go. So I went to bed expecting like, well, three hours. That's enough time for me to get a little bit of rest. I don't know who I am when I'm really, really tired. When I'm that exhausted, but I'm someone who doesn't care about anything. So I woke up six o'clock when the alarm went off, shut the alarm off, flopped mm. right back into bed. S some reason I was like, I'll set my cell phone alarm. That'll wake me up. That goes off a half hour later. And I vaguely recall myself just being like, fuck that. <laughs> I wake up again after midnight, Tuesday morning. I missed, what? I missed not only my final, I missed a what? shift at work. I slept an entire day. Missed How? the final. I don't know. I don't know. Nick, I'm falling apart. The fragile foundations of the oh, ca man. Casa de Chris are crumbling. I was thinking you were going to say, like, I woke up at, like, 2 p.m. or so. Mid oh, my God, man. After midnight on Tuesday, yeah. You slept for 20 hours in a row? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> There's one happy part to this, and that is that I was able to make up that final today. So I was able really? to take that. Uh, nothing like that at work. I don't know. I may be fired. Who knows? <laughs> that, that's a, that's a, a situation to discover later on. But uh, yeah, that's that's how I spent my birthday. Primarily trying to rationalize everything that happens and... Uh, questioned why it is at almost 30 years old i still have absolutely no control over my life oh jesus christ man <laughs> it's a good time oh well, that's something oh god it's been a fun it's been a fun week <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck dude <laughs> On to kick the show off on a high note, right? Oh, man, that gives me such horrible flashbacks because I would do like, oh, man. No, finals for me when I was back at UF was, was terrible, too. I would do like, I did the exact same thing once or twice. Or just like, well, fuck, I've spent all this time studying. 
I need some sleep before I go and take the test. Oh, it's 12 hours later. <laughs> See, there was, there was a worry on that on my mind, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm ready to take this final. I want to finish it. My mind, like, I know when I'm that dedicated, it'll, it'll work together. But this was like sleep deprived Christopher waking up who's just like, fuck the world. Like, I'm surprised I didn't hurl my alarm clock out the window. Like, won't need you anymore. <laughs> Get out of here. This is a sleep town now. Population snooze. <laughs> Dude, if that ever happens, I will. I am awake at 6 a.m. You just tell me if you need me to wake you up, and I will call you. Seriously, I can't. I can't do that to another person. I. I am. I'm already <laughs> awake, Chris. I will be the meanest, most awful person to you, though. I can't do. It. I'm. I am sincerely a horrible person when I'm Dude, waking up. I don't know why. Twenty percent of my job is dealing with assholes on the phone. I will do it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm uh I think it's it's going to be just more important to to get a better uh routine and going to bed on time even if I'm I mean that would be the, the long-term solution, yes. Short-term solution is eh, fuck it. I'm sure on Friday when I have it's the Spanish file. I'm sure on Friday when I, I have the Spanish file. Be... 8 years I've known you, which is uh future Christopher can worry about that. <laughs> That's tomorrow Christopher's problem. Look, Friday, Christopher is going to have to worry about that Spanish file. Today, Christopher is going to stay up till 5 a.m. He's got partying to do. He's got some stuff to catch up on. I've got like six episodes of Punisher to finish, Nick. Come on, I got to get through this. Punisher's not good enough for that, Chris. <laughs> the sad part is like I recognize that, but I'm still going to do it. As I said, I've lost control of this life. Oh, God, I still do some of the same stuff where, like, when I stress out and I've got shit to do, it's I still find ways to freaking uh, procrastinate. It's like, well, this <laughs> this Netflix show, I could watch it at any time, but I've got something important to do, so I'm going to watch it now so I don't have to worry about studying. I can't deal with this stress, so I'm just going to build up the stress for later on and cram all that studying in later. <laughs> Yeah, uh, therapists have said uh, and mentioned to me before about the self-destructive nature of humanity, but uh, it's uh, one of those things, too, where even recognizing it, you're still just like, that's eh, not going to affect me. Not me. Not sensible, responsible me. Guys, Punisher is good. It's just not that good. <laughs> it's not good enough to risk your potential, like, uh, <laughs> uh, academic future on. Like, you, that's something that you have to, like, debate. Is watching Stranger Things literally right this second worth it? <laughs> yeah. Understand, missing your final generally will result in you just failing the class outright. There's very yeah. few courses where there's enough points outside of that, and you have to basically ace everything before you just be like, I'm just not going to take the final. In order to get a D, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, guys. Okay. Let's try and move on to something happier. I don't know what the hell I was going to talk about before before that, but it is completely left my mind now. So let's just talk about manga. Um, all right. So uh, hopefully next week we'll have uh, King Gun Astra. Uh, for this week, we're just going to do our regular manga series. We're going to kick things off in the recap portion of the manga recap as we normally do with My Hero Academia. Uh, before we get into the chapter proper, the uh, color two-page spread at the start of this chapter was the character popularity poll results, which I think I forgot uh, was actually going on in Japan, probably because there wasn't anything going on American side. Yeah, usually with that, they did a, like a concurrent one with America. I think that uh, the last one happened so recently that they were like, whatever. <laughs> Ooh, actually, this is unrelated, but stirred something in my, my ADD-rattled brain. So okay. uh, over at the Shonen Jump podcast... 
each month or each week they do uh, like a family feud game. And from what I've been told, I haven't had a chance to listen to the episode yet. From what I've been told, they did one of which Shonen Jump uh, podcast member would be the best fit on the Straw Hats. And apparently somehow I was an entry onto that. <laughs> it's like, oh. one, like one person wrote me in. So I got to be on that. So, and they accused it. They, they're like, did he write himself in? I want to state for the record. I didn't, but that should be the new standard each week where you're like the Shonen Jump family feud thing comes in. Just write in Rolo T. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, which Shonen Jump girl would you most want to go on a date with? Rolo T was the third answer. <laughs> strange i uh <laughs> i don't know whether to be insulted or just acknowledge the appropriateness that you were written in and i wasn't <laughs> but well i mean if it were something along the lines of like i don't know who would become like i don't know a goate 13 captains like well no rosie is far too irresponsible <laughs> yeah <laughs> get the alarm clock later that hollow alarm can wait i'm gonna i'm gonna grab a quick two-hour nap wake up i'm gonna fight all those hollows i'm gonna get them done it's gonna be my word is my bond all right if i say i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be there we'll put nick in charge of the of the boring division and he can handle the paperwork i guess (laughs) (laughs) which division would be the boring division Hmm. probably the seventh What's uh? What no, probably the ninth. Yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't that like Tosin's like unit yeah. had like a fucking and like... after after Tosin's no longer the captain, it just becomes uh Kensei's and it's like what the hell is Kensei's identity with his division? He's like I punch things. I uh... punch things. I've got I've got two vice captains. I've got two lieutenants, and one of them is really arrogant about it. She gave herself a bigger badge to feel better about herself. That feels like a trait that would make her immediately not fit to be a vice captain. I think that that was honestly half the point of the entire leadership structure in the entire Gote 13. It was like, many of these people should not be in positions of leadership. Zoraki is probably like the least responsible person in the world. It, it is. It's just, it's just a matter of how leadership in that, in that division is passed down. That's the only reason he's the captain. It, it is weird to me. We're really off topic, but I don't care. We're on a good tangent here. Care. So it, it, in the Bleach world, you know, they have these different, uh, you know, military units essentially. And one unit is, is essentially kind of like identified by being wild, animalistic, and unpredictable in their savagery. And you're like, why would you just have this one wild card unit that you can't, like, I know that Zarakai, Zaraki is one of the toughest people out there. He's one of the strongest. You know, their, their combat forces is, is second to none, but they're so, like, unpredict like it's just like having a wild card you can't control and just being like yeah he sits at boardroom meetings with us and everything like that like i feel like he'd be in like a, like a like a all hands meeting at monday morning and someone's just like oh sorry guys i meant to bring in coffee and i didn't that's when he's like Shaw, you have betrayed this honor bring up your sword tosin and i shall slay you yeah, or like it's his turn to bring in the coffee <laughs> he's like i was too busy slaughtering people in the streets i brought myself my coffee. I didn't bring you guys your coffee. That's your yeah, job. If you want some of my coffee, then you'll have to take me on. <laughs> I put bells around my coffee so you'll know where it is, too. Jingle, 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 jingle. Um, anyway. <laughs> so my hero academia poll. This is my hero academia. Uh, the results of the polls, honestly, for like the top five, there's not really any surprise. Bakugo won again. Deku's second again. Todoroki's up there. Kirishima's up there. I think yeah. he went up a few spots. 
Was thanks it, was... to uh, his, uh, I think he went up a few spots thanks to his maximum hardness. He was in the top ten last time. Was he? Definitely. Okay. I like that, though. It makes sense. He had a very uh, great series of chapters this arc. Kaminari is a little unexpectedly popular. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he's just got his fangirls, I guess. Was it the Japanese character poll last time that had Jiro in it as well? Well, yeah. The last Japanese popularity poll had a lot more of the girls in it. Like, Uraraka is the only girl in the top ten, and she's number nine. Meanwhile, fucking Shinso is in it. He hasn't shown up since the frickin' festival arc. He's done nothing. Uh-uh-uh, Nick. There was one panel of him walking past everybody else, acknowledging that he's still in the story. <laughs> he's He's got to have some payoff at girls some point. Girls love a project. That's that girls love a project. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Shinzo. I think he's a great character. I would love to see him again. He's, he's just not done anything. Yeah, but he, 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 he hasn't here? done anything. I think this is one of those things that, like, eventually he's going to kick Horikoshi and be like, I guess I have to do something with this guy. He's the 10th most fucking popular character in my oh, series. He hasn't showed know. up in three, year, <laughs> three fucking years. I don't know. It didn't do anything for Aruka and Naruto. So. You know what? That is actually a good point. The anime aired recently and got through the high school tournament part of the, the story. So that might be why he, he got popularity again. So that would make sense. Uh, yeah, you know, most of the main characters there, Aizawa, All Might, mostly makes sense. Just like, Shinzo, what are you doing up here? <laughs> You know what still surprised me is Ida. I would never expect Ida to be the popular character. Like, I think he's a great character. He just doesn't ever strike me as the character people would want to vote for. Like, you normally don't see, like, the fuddy duddy being the one that gets votes. He's been fairly consistently important. You know, he was part of the uh, effort to rescue Bakugo, for example. And uh, I think that people find him amusing. I think that yeah. uh, he strikes the court as honestly a comic relief character when he's too serious for everyone's good. I totally, yeah. I, I mean, I totally get it. I love Ida. I just, I'm always surprised. Like, I'm surprised he's fifth. That just seems like a lot of people vote for him. It's, uh, I do have to think that it must be partially the school festival arc. Because then, you know, also Uraka was a badass in, in that, too. So, yeah. All right, let's get into the chapter proper. Uh, number 163, Smoldering Flames. And I swear, if by the end of the week, that's not like the MHA fandom's name for the Todoroki Bakugo ship, then, I mean, what, what are you guys even doing? I mean, it's, come on. There, that's he, perfect. He's giving it for you. That's perfect. Like, come on. Smoldering flames. It even sounds erotic. All right. So uh, Deku and Kirishima and Uraraka and Suyu uh, are back from getting, you know, uh, going through all of the paperwork and debriefing and everything like that. They come back to school, to the dorms, and uh, everyone has heard about what the hell they got up to because it was all over the news, and they're relieved to see that they're okay uh, and safe. What's up? Uh, sorry. I had a moment, and I, like, looked over, and I was like, fucking poor Asui did nothing during this. Immediately I had flashbacks to Shino during that whole, like, the team seven, team eight, team up chapter. Like, we're going to do awesome stuff. He shows up. He's like, I found him, guys. <laughs> and then he got away. But we know his power. Like, Asui's just like, I was there, guys. I don't have any real catharsis after everything. And I certainly didn't have any cool moments during the arc. But I was there. She helped Aizawa out. She helped him, uh, you know, use his power to... To stop uh, Airy. Yeah. How she was there. She was vital. Could have done it without her. Measure I did. 
Hey, she threw several spiral thingies and did the gonna, lobster. We're just going to pass the buck on <laughs> to everyone. Uh, so everyone's there agreeing. Then we get this big uh, two-page spread, basically, of everyone just reacting to them getting back. And I actually I actually really like uh, just some of the little things in this. This is one of those little panels where it's like, oh, we just get you know little, little bits here and there of, uh, you know, the entire class. Because... One of the things we see in this is everyone in their casual just hanging around the house clothes. And there are so many little things that I know it's like Todoroki's in all black because, of course, he fucking is. He's got uh, that fucking Steve Jobs sweater, too, that turtleneck sweater that is bothering is, the shit out of Is he really just hanging around the house? He's going to some sort of, like, press release. <laughs> and he's staring at his, his fucking iPhone the entire time. He has become <laughs> Steve Jobs in his fucking manga right now. Like, he's just going to be like, he's he's going to start being really pretentious and shitty about this. He's like, look, people don't realize what they want heroes to actually be, okay? So we're giving it <laughs> to them. He just constantly starts talking while his hands are doing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but some of the other things I know, it, uh, like Shoji's wearing uh, a poncho because of his, all of his arms. Saro's got really long sleeves because of his elbow things. Aoyama's wearing a dress shirt because even when he's casual, he's not. <laughs> So, I don't know, even, like, little throwaway panels basically like that, it's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's it's always nice to see, like, a big cast like this in a casual sort of setting. So, everyone's kind of bombarding everyone with, oh, are you okay? Are you, is, everyone, is everyone all right? And Ida kind of backs everyone away and says, hey, you know, I know that everyone's relieved to see them all, but come on, calm down. Like, they've been through a lot, and maybe we need to give them a bit of space. And, you know, we don't really know what the hell they've been through. They've been through a lot physically as well as emotionally. And uh, then Deku just kind of like, hey, Ida, I'm okay. And there's two things at work here, which I like. The first is that, of course, you know, he's trying to follow the example set by Miria, which is like, I can't just feel sorry for myself and feel depressed about everything. I've got to try and move forward and carry on with what I've got to get done. So, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, just drag people down with, oh, but uh, I should have let Miria be the successor. <laughs> you know, um, so he reassures Ida there. But also, I like that this is, in a way, kind of a callback to way back when, when Ida was uh, saying Deku, like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And Deku did nothing because he just kind of, like, took his uh, word as law uh, back when Ida was, you know, dealing with the dark side. But Ida is reassured in this case. And then immediately he's just like, oh, I'm so worried about you guys. <laughs> Which I like. I don't, I don't know what is up with Yari Rozo in the next panel where she's got this very dainty run immediately. And she's like, I'll go brew some lavender tea. And she's like huffing already. I'm like, is this like, she's like, I fucking need lavender tea. They did it now. <laughs> like she's immediately like, I gotta get out there. It's been one of the weird things that uh, pops up with her, like, because it's not something that's a consistent, uh, consistently explore part of her character, which is that, you know, she's an heiress. She's fucking rich and is used to all this high society stuff. So it's kind of like in this moment, she's just like, I know exactly what to do in this moment. I, I, mean, I, always... when I was feeling under the weather or stressed. Mother and father would tell me to. <laughs> like, I always kind of get the idea that she somewhat operates as like a team mom like as a class president she kind of has that sort of like um 
I don't want to say paternal necessarily, but just that that level above the rest of the students where she looks after them, that that seniority, I guess, as I say. It's just something with that painter where she has this very delicate like pose and then is huffing already. Like as she's like, I must get the tea. Where I'm just like, what's going on? Oh no, so uh there's uh uh oh gosh. Oh no Sugar Man, Nick. Just call him Sugar Man. We're no. not gonna remember his name. Sato, that was it. Ha! Bravo. I'm going to make sure that I memorize all 20 of these go- goddamn names. I have to do this. Uh, Sato is like stuffing cake into Deku's mouth. He's like, here, have some cake. <laughs> um, actually, going back a little bit, my, I think my favorite part of Ida's whole, you know, like going from serious, hey, everyone back off to, you know, freaking out over them is just the face that he's making when he's reacting to Deku's little words. Because he's just like, look at that. Uh, we get a bit of self-reflection by Uraraka, um, because, you know, she feels guilty. You know, she even says, like, I was holding Nadai in my arms. And she's thinking, like, I wish that I could have done more. I Wasn't there something else I could have done? To which I'm sure 80% of the people reading the chapter were like, probably! <laughs> it, it, it's tough because I, I fully admit... Uh, I'm jaded on this in, in this sense. I've become a little bit sort of uh, pessimistic when it comes to these moments. You know, there there were plenty of these during Bleach when like Orihime during the Arankar arcs, like I want to be stronger and never be like held back by my friends and then doesn't have anything. And then when both her and Chad during the Fullbringer arc are like, we're going to get stronger. Megami too. Like, yeah. It, She's got to have her moment to shine. Otherwise, all this buildup and, oh, she she kind of showed promises for nothing. So. Yeah. I want to buy into it, the idea of, like, Uraraka is going to get stronger and have a big moment. But I'm just, I'm pessimistic at this point. I need to be proven otherwise. Otherwise, I'm just not buying into it. Uh, and that's a shitty attitude for me to have, I admit. I, I don't want to have it. But there there's just a level of having read, you know, Shonen manga for so long. These sorts of things don't always get the payoff we want. I feel less paranoid about it, uh, less pessimistic about it, because it feels like Uraka has been more consistently progressing. It's, it hasn't been in leaps and bounds, like uh, she hasn't had the big standout moments, sure. But it feels like she has actually, you know, been been gradually improving, and in a way. So, um, also, there's just a little, a, a really short little moment between uh, Kirishima and Ashido, because Ashido is just like, "Hey, you you good?" But you know, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a payoff to. Oh yeah, they knew each other in middle school as established in that one flashback. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I like that there are firm, like uh, strong relationships between students that don't have to evolve any of like the big four or five kids in the class or anything like that. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with like you know how a lot of the uh, less important guys in the class just uh, can have that weird relationship where each, with each other where they're constantly like, going, oh, you know, between. Kaminari and Saro and Kirishima and stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, so Bakugo is off just kind of by himself on the couch. Um, and Kaminari comes over and is like, what are you talking about? And there's a weird moment because he hops onto the armrest next to Bakugo. And he's like, hey, you should come hang out, Bakugo. And the very next panel is Bakugo behind where Kaminari was, 
making a follow-through motion while Kaminari face-plants into the cushions where Bakugo was sitting. Oh, he used, so, his, he used his explosion teleport power, Nick. Didn't you know he has that? <laughs> his explosion teleport murder king power. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what happened there. <laughs> what, how did he do that? Because <laughs> clearly he actually got behind Kaminari and pushed him. But how fast was that motion? <laughs> I'm like I'm actually really looking forward to when the anime gets to this moment in particular so that I can see how they animate it. And I hope that they don't just freaking cop out and just do the exact same jump cut that the manga did. Next like, I must know. So Bakugo says he's going to bed. And everyone's like, Oh, you're going to bed early. <laughs> don't forget to set your alarm in two hours. Definitely wake up. Well, Todoroki says he's also turning in, and they're like, what? Whoa, what the hell are these guys doing? It's only because it's only like, I guess, 8 o'clock at the time that they're going to bed. We see Bakugo's clock later, it says 8.30. And uh, everyone's like, oh, well, I mean, they've got uh, the licensing course tomorrow, so they're being really serious about it. And we see the four uh, sidekicks and Bakugo and Todoroki all kind of sitting in their rooms at night. And Bakugo is like, oh, I can't sleep. Just, you know, just lying in bed with his eyes open. Same thing with with all the sidekicks. They're just kind of reflecting on what's happened. We find out later why Todoroki is preoccupied with his phone. But I kind of just want to believe that instead of, like, doing the responsible thing and going to bed, he's just playing mobile games on his phone. He's just fucking in Candy Crush the entire time. He's like... Come on. God damn it! I know I don't want to. I don't want to invite people in order to get more lives. Fuck. <laughs> He's playing Fire Emblem Heroes. He's like, God damn it! Another worse. I fucking hate this game. God damn it! This Yu-Gi-Oh game. You can't get any good fucking cards. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Duel Links. Shit. <laughs> Nick's like, I got back into it again. Hardcore. No, I did not. I Fuck stopped playing it unfortunately as well. So then we go to the next day, and it's basically the exact same moment that we had at the end of the last chapter, where Bakugo is telling, telling Todoroki, Stop walking in front of me! I want to be in front! Um, they meet up with uh, Present Mike and All Might. Uh, and uh, so they're like, what happened with Aizawa? And... President Mike explains that after the whole thing going on yesterday, they need uh, Eraser in order to take care of Aerie with his quirk, cancel her power on stuff. So he's not going to be around uh, as much for a little while. I'm glad to see President Mike again. It's been a while since he's actually shown up uh, in the manga, and I kind of grew an affection for him during the during the anime. So yeah. So. We get a flashback from Toshinori's perspective of uh, getting contacted by Gran Torino. Uh, he explains the aftermath of that big confrontation that they had in the previous chapter with uh, Gigantopithecus. Let's just call him that. Um, and uh, although he says that they actually managed to successfully capture Kurogiri. So... I'm a little surprised by that. I thought that that was kind of going to be his way of getting out, but this, I guess, is kind of a way of getting rid of the whole, well, the League of Villains can just have people appear anywhere all the time. So 
might be a little bit of a issue to deal with there, I think. It might also be a setup for a rescue arc for them. Possibly. I feel as though the way they're building the villain alliance, it would be akin to the idea as if one of, you know, the classmates at, at the the academy got taken. Like they're trying to build up the idea that the hero the villain group is like a family of a sort. Hmm. A dark reflection of the of the uh, hero kids. Yeah. Um. So we we do see that you know little glimpses that apparently Gran Torino and Sakauchi got fucked up uh, by Gigantomachia. Um. But uh, and they ended up running away, but they did still capture Kuragiri. Uh. But you know, there's just the stress on. Yeah. That's gonna be a problem to deal with. He's a walking calamity. So that's what's on Toshinori's mind. And, uh, so they get on the bus. Meanwhile, Todoroki is thinking to himself, oh, All Might's here. This could be a pain. Through this chapter, like, he kind of comes across as very grumpy to me. Um, I know why he's worried in this one case, but it's just combined with some remarks that he's making to himself later. It's like, God, sourpuss. You know, at the same time, he's a fucking teacher as well. He needs to fucking discipline his students, goddamn. Get on the goddamn bus. Shut up. Stop talking. I hate children. Get on the bus. No, no, no. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about All Might, because he's, oh. no, he's just like, oh, get on the bus. I'm talking about Todoroki, because he's just like, oh, All Might's here. This is going to suck. And then later on, he's like, oh, this guy's here. This is going to suck. I didn't want to do Oh, well, that's because Todoroki's a moody dickhead. He always has been. <laughs> <laughs> my mother burned my eye. I've got, yeah, he's a I've got. I've got I've got a balance of ego and evil inside of me that I have to deal with. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I wear black sweaters around the house. He's fucking hashtag Ray without the baby memories, basically. <laughs> Just a sourpuss. Actually, speaking of, uh, I'm all dark and stuff. Was huh? Tokoyami wasn't in that group shot earlier, huh? <laughs> or coach is like, oh right, the bird guy. Forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> He just like dwells inside of a cage when he's when he's not doing anything else. He was in his room blasting out my chemical romance. He's just like the Deku and the others are back. <laughs> I don't care. Get out of my room. <laughs> or I'm going to go and join the Black Parade. <laughs> so Endeavor's there. Uh he spots All Might and is like, ah, let's go and sit down and have a chat. He looks really pissed off to see him, actually. Don't really know why. Again, his entire family is made of sour pusses, alright? He's just never gonna be happy. Have you seen Endeavor look happy? Um, yes. When, uh, when Todoroki was finally using his, uh, flame powers and he was like, YES! Yeah, but he's- Now you shall conquer the foe that I failed to! Yeah, I mean, that's just him angry happy, though. <laughs> Angrappy. Hagry. <laughs> I also like uh, how, in response to Endeavor being all, <laughs> President Mike just like, oh, I'll go get us some coffee. <laughs> so, uh, fucking Yorashi is there uh, from Sin. What is their goddamn academy name? Whatever. The other school that was there. Yorashi, the wind guy that had the bad history with Todoroki, which turned out to not really be that bad, all things considered. Okay. Shiketsu. Yes. Um, oh, and and by the way, we get a little bit of note that says that Endeavor is 
literally just got some free time, so he's going to go and watch the training course. I don't really know what happens at the end of the call here, because there's, you know, a message from Endeavor's like, I, I've got some free time, I'll stop by tomorrow, get to watch your training court, and then it goes, <laughs> phones don't do that. What happened? <laughs> uh, I don't know, he, uh, I Does guess that means to that Todoroki hung up on him? Because, again, phones don't do that. They go beep, not kuz. Uh, maybe that's a, he has a very staticky voice. And, uh, or maybe, um... Just went through tunnel. Yeah. Anyway, Yorashi's there. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, actually. Kami? 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 Whatever. Kami's there. The actual Kami. Cam- and uh, Or Kami- is it? Well, she acts different from Toga does, but she also doesn't act incredibly different because she's like, oh, who's this handsome guy? Hey, cutie, here's my number. And she's just like incredibly forward with it. So it's like, "Ah, I guess it wasn't too much of a stress for Toga to actually act like her. Toga's like, actually, this is pretty convenient. You're right kind of in a similar vein to me. Um. Also, uh, freaking Seiji, or Shishikura, the meatball guy, is there, but he's not there to take the test, because he failed in the, like, preliminary round, so he's just going to be there as an observer. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's going to be the four important characters in this exam are going to be Bakugo, Todoroki, Yorashi, and Kami. And uh, I also have to wonder, like, how much of the whole thing do they know about with Kimi? I mean, is it possible that it's that it still is Toga? Because I don't think it would be her. She's kind of busy. It seems it wouldn't be that shocking because we're meant to get, I guess, that some time has passed. They were in the hospital for a while before mm-hmm. this happened, so there is time, I guess, for Toga to have re- you know, re- you know, connected back up with the villain guild and gone back out to this. It seems weird, though, if it's not her, that she's just like I mean, technically, I was, I guess, knocked out and, like, kidnapped and had my identity stolen, was impersonated in this contest, and then used to try to kill someone. But not for not for nothing. I did technically get to that second round, so I could take this part of the license. She's like, oh, look, I, not for nothing. I'm taking this opportunity. It is here, all right? I guess it would be even weirder, though, if, you know, she didn't bring it up to the extent that Toga attacked her again and replaced her again. She's like, I was bound and gagged in a closet for four days until someone found me. I'm getting in that fucking course, all right? <laughs> yeah, the person who took my personality got through. I'm getting in, all right? She's had five lines. We can make up what her personality's like. <laughs> She's like, when you have a dirty old fucking sock in your mouth for three days, you get to earn some stuff. It's called getting ahead in this fucking pre- license course, god damn it. When she's not hitting on guys, she thinks she's cute. She's just a really angry person. <laughs> she's violent and hateful. <laughs> hey, cutie, you want to go out sometime? Seriously, fuck that bitch. I will get this exam done. She's like, if I'll you get d- my license, you can't stop me. <laughs> Fucked up, I man. He's like, you just called me cute. Well, now I don't like you're so cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. This wasn't a chapter with a ton of content to it. There's a little bit of teases here and there. At one hand, I am excited that we're going to get the the Shiketsu group back because this is a chance for, I guess, maybe to actually develop some real rivalry between, like, Todoroki and Wind Dude. 
I'm not gonna remember his name, Nick. I, I didn't remember it then. I'm not gonna remember it now. When dude is his name? It's a mark of pride <laughs> now. That's <laughs> how I. That's how I. That's how I get to sleep at night. Uh, or don't. But uh, at the same time, also just like man, that was such like a a nothing storyline before. I'm partially like I. I want to see it expanded because I want to see something substantial come to I it. I hate that guy. He was dismissive of me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm also like, I hope it isn't just more of the same. Like, I want them to turn that to something like tangible and real going forward. I agree. Um, it's going to be kind of a weird uh, to see this group go. And it does look as though because there's a little bit of uh, foreshadowing, a little ominous note of, uh, you know, some hidden figures planning how to test the students. Because uh, that means that we are going to get a little bit of this provisional license exam. Wait, Nick. Is that so, guy on the left in the white? Is that Gang Orca? Did he wear a white suit? Is Gang Orca showing back up, Nick? Is Gang Orca going to be in the series again? <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll see. Oh, I hope he is. I hope Gang Orca becomes someone's, like, uh, like hero mentor. That'd be great. It's something, someone like incredibly inappropriate, like someone who can't do aquatic shit. Saito. He's like, all my sugar dissolves when I get in the water. He's like, you just need to have the, you need the sugar in your heart to carry you. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, literally, I'm going to install these sugar packets into your heart and just inject them into you with the button whenever you need the power ups. No one questions Gang Orca. Yes, sir. All right. So, uh, next we're going to do Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma, 243 First Year Kid, a.k.a. Chris was wrong. Look at how wrong he was. He was wrong about literally everything. I, I, I was very wrong, but for a good reason. We got quite a chapter out of it, but it is one that I had definitely have some questions about mm. let's get into it first off um we see somi at the beginning of this chapter reacting to uh his imaginary battle with soma uh, in which he says ah oh, he has drawn but what he swung was not one blade but and it looks like tentacles are coming after him seriously what are those things it's well as we see from some of the swords later on it, it, it might those might actually make sense He's just got like, and this, and I'm going to swing this one too. And he's just got a bunch of tentacles coming out of a halberd. <laughs> I want to know, because they don't show it later on. I want to know what the fuck Alice's sword looked like. Because he did fight her mm. at one point. I want to see this to be like a fucking lightsaber robot, like laser suiting sword and shit. <laughs> That'd be pretty great if we got to see some more, some more of that stuff. Because there's a few weird ones that get thrown in there too. Mm. All right, so... uh we cut back over to the hotel where uh, Kuga and Kinokuni were. They were reacting to someone coming out of the shadows. They were shocked to see. Turns out it's Mimasaka, who is uh, not looking so good right now. He's walking with a cane. He's trembling, and he looks incredibly pale. Um, so Kuga quickly concludes that this is as a result of the cruel, demanding secret training that the first years went through. And after our title page, we get a flashback that shows that Mimasaka felt pretty bad about getting his ass kicked by Somei. So uh, 
he says, well, part of my training, though, was to learn how to trace all the members of the council. So you guys should do training against me as I imitate them. Makes sense. Uh, as he puts it, let me be your punching bag. So we get some, we see some more stuff, uh, of him imitating the other members of the council. Um, and, um, his image for Momo, cause his, his whole, he's got this whole th- thing for Azon where he's like, you know, analyzing stocks and stuff. He's like, Oh, just come, just try, try and beat me if you can. And then for Momo, he, she's just going, Mega Meon, Mega Meon, Mega Meon. Just, that's it. Yeah. That's literally the extent of it. <laughs> Guess he didn't get much of an impression of her. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I guess she's like, she likes cute shit or something. I like just wearing the wig, guys. This is really like, <laughs> I'm not gonna it lie. Makes, it makes me feel pretty. Don't judge me. Yeah, this is kind of how I really just want to live. I don't like the mohawk. I don't like being like a big bulky kind of gorilla looking dude. I want to, I want to be a cute little girl. <laughs> I want to like, put, I want to put tassels on my, on my huge kick-ass motorcycle and, uh, you know, chime a bell when I come by. <laughs> Everyone's like, do it, dude. We're not going to judge you, but for the love of God, what? Is... <laughs> like, you got to develop something more than this, girls. You're not going to help. He's like, I don't actually know how she cooks. I've never baked in my life. So. <laughs> I don't use sugar in any of my cooking, actually. <laughs> I've never seen an apple before. What is this? Oh, <laughs> you're sure I look, Megumi, but. <laughs> and that's why Megami lost. <laughs> She's like, she did the best with what she had to work with, which like, was nothing. I wanted just one fight. <laughs> if she had just had one practice match. If I had just had a single sparring match against someone who knew what an apple was, I could have won. Oh, God. So... We see that uh Soma actually did a lot of struggling as he took on Mimasaka's impression of Soma, and in fact, that image of him getting the sword chopped in half uh actually occurred over and over again. And uh so through those struggles, Soma realized that he needed something really big in order to actually defeat him. As he put it, there's no way I can beat him the way I'm going. I'm going to win. I need to. That's so we come back to the present, see uh, the judges reacting to uh, all of the components of Soma's dish. Uh, and he's, you know, for example, his story is like, ah, you know, Aldini must have put this blend together in the, in the mochi white sauce. And uh, Une is saying that one of the reasons that the butter flavor isn't thicker greasy, despite the amount used, is because it used Miss Tadakoro's apple butter. Uh, so there's that teamwork coming through. But it's not just that. There's even more to it. There's actually a fuck ton more to it. Like, a lot. <laughs> and uh, to go off of the... Uh... Let me see here. Da, 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 da. Fuck's sake. Won't load pages. Fuck you. Yeah. Fucking jump reader. God damn it. It's been doing this all day. I yeah. swear to God. I, I open up a new page and just move over to it. Like, duplicate the tab and... Jump over yeah. to it. Hey, 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 hey. Hang on. That was about then. Come on. There we go. All right. 
So the way it's explained is that, yes, the sword that Soma swings first against Soma breaks. Uh, and Soma is putting it, so that's the form of their teamwork. But something still isn't right. No matter how many of his blades I break, he comes at me with yet another. Where is he getting them all? This cannot be possibly just the work of three. And then he sees it, and he sees lots of swords. And uh, there's a cool note of this because each of the weapons represents someone. So there's, you know, this nice katana for Aldini. There's a buster sword for for uh, Kuga. Not Kuga. Kurakiba. Kurakiba. I keep on mixing those two names up, guy. You know, fencing fencing blade for Hayama. We saw those two in the past. There's this kind of... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that is because there are a lot of different names for pole arms. Let's call it a glaive for now uh, for uh, Mimasaka. And then he pan- it pans back and we see that he's just surrounded by like a sword graveyard. All these weapons plan the ground and as each weapon breaks, he snatches up another and attacks him. It reminds me of, of course, you know, the Bankai training bleach. Um, but I think this honestly looks cooler. Because they're actually different types of weapons as opposed to, well, you know, it's like Zangetsu, but it's got a point coming out of it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they've done this, something Kingdom Hearts has as well, where there's like a battle in a Keyblade graveyard. And like the battle of, like the visual of like a battlefield in a like uh, area full of like swords embedded into the ground is kind of like a trope to a certain extent. But this is a very cool application of it just because, one, it's in a food series. Like, in a cooking battle manga <laughs> is such an awesome visual of a guy staying in a battlefield of swords. But uh, just the, the implication of it, too, of every time Soma tries something that breaks, he just snatches up another sword to continue this 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 onslaught. Is is like a very cool theme to, like, kind of play with with this whole samurai battle visual motif that the Saito fight has had. So, you know, each of the swords apparently represents a, a cooking technique that Soma has picked up from one of his classmates, you know, uh, from Takumi, the ultimate cheese blend from Hayama, the aroma bomb from Kurokiba, the prawns, umami goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and then also apple butter, because he just comes in and fucking does a liver blow with the apple boxing gloves. Which I guess take, I guess when they're apple boxing gloves, you can put them on very quickly. Yes. So. You just slide right <laughs> into that. And then just because, um, there's a note from Yoshino, which is represented by him pulling a sniper rifle. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that it's like, he uses like boxing gloves and he's like, he's not even using swords anymore. He just pulls out a sniper rifle and starts shooting him. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Yoshino gets a note here and not, yeah, not like Alice. Not Arena, not anyone important. <laughs> I guess because he didn't use one of theirs in the dish. What, I guess, yeah. The implication okay, seems he, he used, to be he used Ryoko in the previous round, too. He's not just using important character stuff. It's everyone he has learned from, from uh, attending Polaris, for example. Uh... So from all of this, you know, Somei is getting further and further pressed in their battle, so to speak. And uh, we have a flashback to, the, to that conversation that he had with, uh, fuck, God damn it, uh, Azami. Azami. There we go. Um, and uh, he 
his line is, even if your grand revolution or what have you succeeds, there may be one, even many, with the courage to drag themselves up through it. Fighters who don't hesitate to cut down the barriers built around them, perhaps even a samurai like me. And should a chef like that make him or herself known, I would like to test myself against them. Uh, and the way that Sam, that Somme, uh, thinks about this whole term of events to himself is, a samurai stands alone from the masses. That was my creed. His is the exact opposite. Yet he still has the same fire, the same all-consuming obsession with victory. I see. You too are a warrior. Now, I kind of feel as though there needed to be a bit more of an emphasis on the differences between Soma and Soma in order for this to have the same impact, because I was kind of latching onto their similarities through the build-up to this more than anything else. They're... Coming from a poor family and working in a family restaurant and having to prove himself at every turn and stuff. Yeah, there is an element to this. Uh, just, I, I guess, to, like, kind of cut ahead, uh, he's used everyone who's ever fought up against to fight against him, and Saito has a thing where he's like, yeah, you, you fought the way of the warrior, and he loses. It's a unanimous victory for Soma. And I like aspects of this a lot. I like the actual visual, again, of this idea of defeating him in this samurai motif by just throwing more blades against him, by just continuing this onslaught. He's like, Trying this one technique isn't enough to beat you, so I'm going to try it with another one and another one. All these things cumulative is enough to beat you. It, it, it does really build the idea that Saito was a, a, a massive opponent, one that was very difficult to beat. Because Saito or someone had to basically use not just everything he had, but everything he's learned from everybody else to beat this guy. This was a, uh, you know, probably the toughest opponent Soma has faced to this point. I guess outside of what Sukasa in that like one mock battle. So I like it to that extent. There's an element, though, where you kind of have to say, Saito getting this is cool because it makes him feel big, but what do you, like, this feels like a final battle in the series kind of moment. Like, there's, there's this, this visual of him staring out into the crowd, saying how he's a member of the, the Totsuki Institute and a member of the 92nd graduating class, and all of his fellow peers just look to him in this beautiful, inspiring pose. He's cascaded in light. Like, this is meant to be that heroic visual you kind of look upon. And then you think, and you're like, what does he do to then beat, like, say he's supposed to beat Tsukasa or something like that later on, or Azami or something like that. Like, this feels like a, a very final kind of technique. This is, you know, your spirit bomb, your in so we can uh, coagulate uh, Diaboramon and keep him from infecting the rest of the Digimon web. Like, it feels very big and doesn't necessarily tie together. Because there's, there's one element that's really kind of annoying to me, and it's even though it's a very cool visual of someone being like, I use this to fight you, and this, and this. We don't actually see how that applies to the dish. He just, like, says, like, and I use apple butter. And we, they do explain the apple butter and, like, the four cheese, but then he's like, hi, I'm a Roma bomb, And you're like... How does Soma use all of these very strong techniques without it becoming overpowering? And isn't this also against some of the themes of the series, too, about developing your own dish? Hasn't Soma just become Ryuma, and he's just using the pinnacle of hard work, and he's just, uh, or state of self-actualization, he's just like, everyone's techniques beat you! 
there's parts I like, but the actual implication here leaves a little bit to be desired. I agree and I disagree. Um, for example, like the, I think the, the best part of all of this is the fact that, you know, he now looks so at the, upon the class and he's like, I'm, you know, part of Tosuki Institute. I'm a member of the ninth second graduating class. Because, you know, you get that flashback accompanying it where, you know, babe back at the beginning of the series, he didn't give a shit about the, about the school. He didn't give a shit about any of his classmates. It's like, this is just a, a stepping stone for me. It was basically yeah. Bakugo in a way. Um, and now he has, this is showing not the way that his cooking has grown, but how he has grown as a person. And that should be equally important for why he's able to stand up against such a powerful opponent. It makes sense. It, it goes hand in hand with how his cooking has gone, with how his growth as a person has gone. Mm-hmm. That part's great. Um, I definitely see your point in terms of how has his cooking in itself evolved. He doesn't have that distinct sound. That was something that they emphasized. Um, I think that you definitely have a point there because Soma's specialty was supposed to be in the home style aspect of it. And that's not something that seems to really come through in this dish. It's just all these techniques that I've learned have worked. Um, I think that it makes sense to have this explain why he won and Megami didn't because Megami basically did what Takumi did, but not quite as implementing as much, whereas Soma went way further than both of them did in order to make his dish. You know, throwing a whole ton of components. Not three not three elements, but like ten or something yeah. like that. How it all went together, I couldn't tell you. But even if it was explained well, probably wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> That's one of those things where I'm like, I wonder if this was the writer wanted to do this. And they have like a food consultant I know on the, the manga. Uh, I wonder if this is something where the food consultant's like, I hear your idea. That dish would be disgusting, so just don't explain it. <laughs> like, there's no dish where you'd be like, and you put apple butter into it, and then you put a bunch of seafood stock into it, and then you put a bunch of poultry stock into it, and then you do, you know, you put some, uh, you put some, uh, meat dish bowl into it, and, and she's like, that's awful. But, you do you. Just don't distinguish the dish at all. And also, uh, I do think that this is, Part of the part of the reason this works is because it's you know the theme of this particular competition, which is the unity triumphs over the individual talent. Um, part of the reason that Soma beat Soma is because he had help from Takumi and from Megami. It wasn't it was that huge individual step that he took that guaranteed it, but it wouldn't have worked without their help. Um. Ah. Uh, I think maybe where the issue for me ultimately kind of comes down to is this feels like a technique that would have been much more better implemented against another opponent than Saito, because he never really felt like that was what this whole thing was about. As you mentioned earlier, Saito never really came across as like an opponent who was really all about like, you need to shut out what others can give to you or anything like that. I know he was about personal strength overcoming but as you said there were a lot more similarities between him and Soma than there were differences and this feels like the the kind of you know turnabout you use against a Sukasa or something like that somebody who's like oh I'm the perfection of all cuisine you're like no it's all about the experiences of all my friends along the way that are truly you know the the the, the true fucking flavors the friends we've
But I don't know. I, I, it's not that I'm like I hate this chapter or anything like that. I think it's just there's a weird aftertaste to it. I guess. <laughs> I definitely think that there's flaws, but overall, I did really uh, enjoy it. I do, however, disagree with the you know fear of where do you go from here because I think that if you play down the present for the sake of bigger future payoffs seeming more important and eh, so, but I definitely see the point. Um, uh, honestly, like, um, it's a, it's a, it's a moment that I think is good, but it could have, and honestly, it's, I think it's really good, but it could have been wonderful. So I see your point there. All right. From there, we're going to go on to Dr. Stone Z equals 39. And the winner is. So last time, uh, against all odds, Chrome managed to put everything together, knock uh, Magma off of a cliff via ball shot and uh, won, beat him. So Chrome is. Nick, it's time to get stoned. Thank you, Chris. Um, <laughs> there's a brief little, uh, moment where Chrome has to speak with the judge because he's like, Hey, you know, you already said the helmet was okay. And the only other part of the helmet uh, that I used is just my own sweat and tears. So they're just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Ain't nothing in the rules that says anything against using a death laser to set your opponents on fire. He's like, it doesn't say in the rules a dog can't play basketball. Wait, number two. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Rule zero. <laughs> Players must be human. I don't know why we didn't think we just had... Uh, it was really good foresight to put that in. Um, so, there's a big celebration uh, with uh, Team Science because, hey, they freaking beat Magma and all, uh, the only people left in the tournament are representatives for the Science Kingdom. So, yeah, all right, we did it. <laughs> Hold on, everyone. <laughs> oh, man, this is... Oh, this chapter. Um, I like how Asagiri makes, like, his big, like, well, my work here is done. Dramatic exit now. Whatever. <laughs> um, Ruri reacts to all this. You know, she's like, ah, Chrome won. And uh, Ginro starts talking to her. And uh, he says, hey, you know, uh, you've got to w marry the winner. So, hey, don't worry now, because uh, when Senku or I make it to the final round, then we'll just throw the match in that way. The winner will be Chrome. And uh, Ruri kind of reacts to this as uh, Ginro's like, yeah, I can tell, because, you know, you want Chrome to win. And uh, then she kind of has a moment of, you know, like, oh, and she's like, no, 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 no. Uh, I am Shamaness. I must be above such partisan views. This is a sacred tournament of the gods, so the winner of this grand bout is up to them. And so, Andrew's like, what? So you don't care who, who wins? And she's like, um, yeah, yeah. I like the judge is just like, holy shit, Genro, read between the fucking lines, pick up a goddamn clue, kid. He picks up the wrong clue. He's like, I could be a god! I love how he, his image of himself as chief has him with a giant manly beard, but for some reason the bust celebrating him doesn't. <laughs> he also has an enormous sword, which seems to hover in the air, and he has a pyramid behind him as well. <laughs> how does he 
we know what a pyramid is? <laughs> oh, God. So <laughs> we see inside of his brain for a second as the sleaziness that has currently been covered up by his kindness bursts forward like a mountain. For some reason, the sleazy part of him is naked and his Obviously. good. <laughs> um, so the next match begins. They step forward and immediately <laughs> starts trying to beat Senku senseless. It's his <laughs> face in that panel on the left-hand <laughs> side where, like, one eye has gone off to the other side already fucking, like, like got a black eye. Like, ah! This is Senku just starts running for his fucking life. <laughs> He's just like very obviously shouting. I was like, "You heard what Rory said. She'll marry whoever wins. So I'm gonna fucking fight." <laughs> oh God. So <laughs> Asagiri apparently hears the commotion from across the bridge, where he's like, "Oh yeah, I guess Ginro would fucking do that." <laughs> Ginro declare, starts issuing decrees uh, before he's even won, saying that every day there's going to be all-you-can-eat ramen feast or the village, which, of course, the fat guy's like, sounds good! <laughs> Ginro! 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 He says, rather confusingly, there will be harems. I'm going to start my own village with ramen and harems. <laughs> harems, not just for me. Everyone gets a harem. <laughs> immediately the women are like, there's not enough women to do that. <laughs> Does that mean the women also get harems of each other? I guess. Just like village-wide orgies every day, maybe? He's like, we're going to be Caligula. <laughs> oh, man. And so narration explains that, yes, upon hearing the disgustingly shameless things Ginro had to say, the villagers' hearts unite as one. This guy is the last person who should be chief, and the unite is one around behind Senku. Um, um, Chrome realizes he's got to do something. Once more, uh, he throws the mask into the fray and says, Senku, this is our science team's weapon, so use it. And Senku's like, yes, we had no choice. He starts sitting up on the ground, and Ginro may be a fucking idiot, but he's not that big an idiot. He's like, I'm not going to let you set my clothes on fire. And he just immediately bum, bum rushes uh, Senku. Senku sets the mask up as a fulcrum, puts his weapon down as a lever on top of it, and stamps down on it, and ball shots Ginro. <laughs> that fucking helmet has gotten a lot of mileage. <laughs> it's It slices. It dices. It <laughs> oh, man. But that's part of what science is all about, is, you know, using, uh, finding the many multiple different uses of, uh, seemingly simple objects. Um, yeah, George Washington Carver over here. I love Suika's innocence as well, because he's like, oh, maybe Ginro saw this coming and played the villain on purpose. <laughs> like, everyone else is like, nope. <laughs> he's he's a shithead. <laughs> Including Ginro's fucking best friend and brother. <laughs> so Chrome is like, yes, we did it. Now the village will be a kingdom of science. And we can save her. 
<laughs> oh no. Kaseku's like, all right, we did it. We've done it. So I'll just forfeit this match. You get to marry Ruri. Everything worked out fucking great. At uh oh, Chrome. Oh no. <laughs> so Suiko's like, yeah, he's knocked out. And Kuhaku's like, he must have taken the last of his strength to toss the helmet. So he was so relieved, knowing that Big Sister Ruri would be saved. Wait. <laughs> so immediately, everyone's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I love the reaction of the judge most of all, because he's like... <laughs> like, the one dude who's apparently, like, gathered everything that's going on. Like, he's not part of the team, but he still has, like, grasped everything that's happening. He's like, god damn it, they were so close. <laughs> fucking dorks. Our new village chief, and the man who will make our lady shamanette his wife, the winner, Senku. And we get, once again, that do 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 effect, chief's throne and wife of taint. <laughs> and everyone's like, ah! and even sick is like, huh? Nani? <laughs> this is an awesome chapter. Um, I, once again, Chris is wrong about everything <laughs> for a second series in a row. Uh, but I love this twist. Um, I think that this is going to make uh, some interesting complications for the series going forward. Uh, how are things going to go between Senku and Ruri? Uh, for that matter, Chrome and Ruri and Senku and Kohaku? Because this is going to have an effect on all those characters. Uh, I'm sure a very big effect on them. Maybe not necessarily all in the same way, but yeah, Kohaku's got a new brother-in-law that she wasn't planning on, and Chrome and Ruri are still in love, and Seku didn't really want to end up being the actual chief. He just wanted to be in control of the village. Uh, so, yeah, here we go. So I like how this played out. Uh, I don't think there's going to be huge ramifications to this, because I think by Senku being the village chief, he can simply say, oh, well, let's do away with that tradition of having to marry the, oh, the village priestess. Oh, Chris. Oh, Chris. Oh, I'm a sweet summer uh, oh, child. You, oh, you think that the romance is going to be resolved in chapter 40, Chris. That's adorable. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> you I, learn I, nothing I, from We Never Learn. Yeah. <laughs> you never learned. Uh, no, I think this, 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 this all works very well because it, it still got across the point that ultimately needed to, that, that Chrome was the one who, who did this. You know, he beat Magma. He defeated him. Senku might be the winner on the tournament end, but Chrome is the one who, who did it. And actually, mm -hmm. Senku winning is actually the best part for their team. He needed to become the village. He needed the village to be under him. And he has that now. So all the stuff with Rory, I, I, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't think Senku is actually going to marry her. That would seem really fucked up for a guy who's all about science to be like, look, rules are rules. You are, you are ownership. I am ownership of you now. God damn it. You are my it's, property, woman. I don't see that happening. Well, even but, the chief had traditions that he couldn't go back on, like uh, with the tournaments. You know, when when Kohaku ruined his plans, he he couldn't just he couldn't just be like, okay, men only in the tournament. He couldn't go back on that. So I think that things are going to be not nearly as simple as that because Doctor Stone does not just do simple things and simple. Uh, uh, results to things. This is a complication that could be dramatically interesting. So I think that there are going to be 
at least short-term consequences to this. Maybe it won't be a hundred chapters before it's resolved, but it's going to be a complication for the time being that they're going to have to deal with. I like all the different all the different suggestions people have for the things that Senku can, can invent to get out of this. Uh, for example, divorce, cheating, incest. <laughs> I don't think he had to invent cheating. <laughs> all right. All right, let's move on to We Never Learned. Question 43. Sometimes a genius travels down memory lane with X. I hate these chapter titles. These are so long. It's very uh, long. But that's the only thing that is uh, detestable about this chapter, because we pick up from you last time so. where Takamoto uh, asked Uega to come along with her for that night, uh, spend more time with her in the evening, and pick up there. He says, She says, uh, we're going to go to the school's pool. And Uega's like, oh, but the pulls the school is the opposite direction but what she means is they're going to their middle school uh the now south junior high school and they go inside and uh takamoto is very excited because nothing in the school has changed at all in three years this is so crazy uh which is not an experience i had when i went back to my old grade school i was like everything looks smaller yeah i was like how did i fit into this this is it's like so cramped and tiny uh, All the desks are, like, coming up to your knee. <laughs> yeah. But Takamoto is explaining how, like, oh, she's like, oh, this is where we sit next to each other. Remember that? And, oh, when I first saw you, you seemed like this dark, serious, nerdy type. I never imagined you'd, uh, I'd, uh, and he's like, you'd what? She's like, oh, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I'd end up talking with you so much because you're such a quiet loser, basically. <laughs> Thanks. And they continue on their tour of the school, and they're kind of just reminiscing about some stuff. Um, there's a brief moment where she walks by that corner she was when she overheard Uega basically defending her and how much, how much hard work she puts into everything she does. She has like a little moment where she, she reminisces on that. And they basically just have a long sort of sequence where they share memories of the school. And this is one of the things I really admire, uh, when it comes to Brian. It's, it's sometimes difficult to actually convey the idea of a previously existing relationship when, it's being referenced to a bunch of stuff we haven't met before. But the series did it really well, where it really did feel like these are two characters talking about their old school days together, when they're talking about, like, oh, their teacher whose wig fell off during the uh, morning greeting, or, oh, hey, do you remember this person we used to know? Well, they, they joined a glam uh, glam rock band, and, oh, hey, it's our, our old uh, gym teacher, and, wow, he's really put on weight since he got married. It, it's not, like, forced, it's not too too obvious, but it, it's it's executed really well. And they also cut over, we get a little explanation about how uh, after that moment in the hallway, uh, Takamoto started to really see that she had feelings for him. She didn't really notice what they were, but she was like, I'd start noticing where he was when he was in the room. I'd start practicing saying his name in the mirror just casually. And we see her two friends talking about like, oh, you're going to Ichinose Academy? Didn't you say you wanted to go to Futasupa? And she's like, oh, well, I feel like just doing something different now. And she's a little nervous. And her two friends, God love them. This is some fucking, this is some gangsta shit to like be like, all right, we'll go to the same school you do. Entirely because the crush that you like is going to that school. We're going to back you up, girl. Yeah, that's that. Bravo. Because that is, that is some hardcore, like, we dare for you, bud. I don't know if I'd do that. I mean, like fucking I high wouldn't. school romance. That's Come on, get your shit together. No. So we get a nice glimpse there. Uh. And eventually, they get to the pool. And the entire time, uh, Takamoto has been sort of explaining, like, oh, yeah, it's fine that we're here. I'm an advisor for the school swim team here, so I get permission to come here all the time. 
And they're at the pool. And she's like, I'm glad they didn't change the secret hiding place for the keys. Like, do you really have permission to be here? She's like, shut up, nerd. <laughs> I like how casual she is about this breaking and entering and trespassing. <laughs> yeah. So you wake up finally asks, like, so why did we come to our junior high school swimming pool? And she says, I wanted to come here to remember how it felt back at the beginning. And I wanted to be here with you. And Viz's media player stopped loading for me. So I have to wait and open up the new page. But essentially what she says is, it's because of you I kept swimming. You may not have, like, really remembered it, but we had a conversation, and because of that, um, I managed, I, you know, I kept swimming, and I owe you a lot for that. And every time I'm opening up a page, it shit is still not loading for me. That is annoying. We're going to try a third time. All right, there we go. So she says, yeah, uh, it's just a casual chat, but thanks to you, Naruki, I'm still swimming now, and I wanted to say thank you. And he interrupts, and he says, no. Thank you, because I haven't told anyone, but right before I met you, or right around when I met you, just a few days before our junior high school opening ceremony, my dad died. And you're just like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> shit got heavier than I was expecting it to. <laughs> and he says, I couldn't imagine the future. I'm the oldest son, and all I knew was that I had better study as hard as I could. But try as I might, my grades just weren't improving, and I honestly, I felt like giving up. But right then... I saw the story about you and your amazing achievements, and it gave me the courage to just keep trying a little bit longer. Uh, the image of her succeeding is not as graceful as this moment would like, where she's just like, ah, I got a trophy on the best. But he says, so I'm the one who should be thanking. And she interrupts him uh, and says, no, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean to bring up painful memories. I'm so sorry. They basically apologize to each other over the fact that it's kind of like, Heavy topics come up, and they're both trying to, like, kind of cheer each other up over it. Um, eventually, Yuig is like, oh, hey, did you ever reveal your feelings to your crush? And she's like, oh, no, I mean, I couldn't. I, I tried, but lots of times, but no, it's impossible for many reasons. He's like, hmm, I wasn't successful at being supportive of you during your swimming competition, but I could be helpful now. Use me to declare your feelings to. I'll be your guinea pig. So when you practice on me, you'll be ready for when you talk to him. I mean, it makes sense. But... <laughs> and I like her reaction. It's like, you fucking don't. You don't. She says it like eight times in this chapter. And she has this this look. But after he says it, he's like, the annoying thing is he's totally sincere. And he's so cute when he's sincere. It's, we see him through her lens. And he's like very beshonen and fucking like confident. And you know full well that in the real image, he's like, <laughs> Yes, exactly like that, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look at his face in the other panels. <laughs> so uh, she says, all right, fine. But the mood's really important in these situations. So could you call me by my given name? And he's like, oh, Takamoto's first name? Because I can't pronounce that. Uruka? Uruka. I, I don't think it's Uruka. Uruka. Aruka? Is there, Uruka. There's got to be another accent. That's exactly how you Uruka. pronounce it with an I. That seems Uruka. weird. All right. So she said Takamoto's first name. And she's like, you dope. You dope. You dope. How can you just come out and say it? I have any idea how long I practiced before I called you Narayuki? And she does, uh, she gives her a little, uh, confession. And she's like, oh my god, did I really just confess? And he's like, hmm, I think you should try it again. It was really good. Like, you had my heart totally racing, but I don't think you should use my name. Other than that, it was pretty good. And she just pushes him into the pool. <laughs> and then she immediately remembers she can't swim, so she jumps in after him. And he's like, oh, well, what are you thinking, Takamoto, you? And she says, Takamoto? Hmm? I thought you were going to be calling me by my given name now. And he's like, well, I thought that was just for practicing. I never said that. 
That's basically how the chapter ends. She has a moment where she briefly is like, I guess I maybe complicated things a little bit here. But uh, that's uh, that's by and large the chapter. It was sweet. Um, I like parts of it. Um, I think that uh, it's really crazy that uh, they go down this path. And then Yuiga brings up, yeah, after my dad died. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you got really serious there all of a sudden. And then they just go back to the silly romantic comedy under misunderstanding, um, which I don't really like. Um, I mean, it would probably be a, a kind of funny bit because of obviously, you know, the dramatic irony of it. But I don't know, coming on the heels of that, really jarring and uh, wasn't really in the mood for it. The other thing I can say is at least some amount of change came from this. Uh, presumably he will at least occasionally refer to her as Aruka going forward, which is a signifier that they're closer together now. But, um, I don't know. It was just kind of, it was just really weird and kind of a roller coaster in terms of, uh, the emotions that they were going through. Yeah. So this is a, this is a fantastic chapter. I, I loved basically every part of this. This was a very cute chapter. It's very sweet. I love the way that they connect with one another, both basically talking about how they've been inspirations to one another in very small ways, him in a way that she he doesn't even remember the conversation, her in a way she never even as actively a part of, just her accomplishments was an inspiration to to Uega. Uh I love the little sweet moment they have at the end. I love her little kind of coy tease of just being like, I thought you were going to start calling me by my given name now. That it's was like, cute. I thought that was just a joke. Like, it's it's very sweet there. I like them going down the, the memory lane during this and how it all really felt like a legitimate like past they've shared together. And I think it was just all executed extremely well. Pacing, just perfectly on point. Funny at times. I think this was a, a fantastic chapter. And I, I'm honestly, I'm at this point now where I, I'm, I think I'm willing to say oh, maybe this is a hot take uh, of manga, but uh, we never learned who's better than Isekoi. I think just flat out at this point, it's it's to me proven to be a better written series in the long run. I know there's a lot of things Isekoi does that's a lot better, but I don't think I enjoyed Isekoi to the same level that I do. We never learn at this point. Hmm. I think that they're more different than uh, I was expecting originally. All right. Well, you know what is not my favorite thing though. This fucking Shonen Jump reader. Every fucking page right now for me is a loading bar. What is happening? <laughs> what is happening right now? I've never had it this much. Wait, wait. Uh, I will also bring up that it might. The one of the things that might actually play into uh, you being more uh, into we never learned is maybe because we've been following it from the beginning, as opposed to Nisekoi, we had to skip over about a hundred or so chapters. When we first started reading it, yeah. well, we didn't skip over it, but you know we had to catch up on it all at once. All right, so uh, all that done, let's move on to the Promised Neverland, Chapter sixty-seven, The Forbidden Game, Part Two. Um, we're gonna pause before we go into this uh, color page. What did you think of the big cover to Shonen Jump with all the Christmas? Uh, attire for everyone. Oh, God, you're gonna make me open up a new fucking tab. Yes, I am. Fuck you. All right, let's see if this loads. Uh, it's cute. Uh, what do you want me to say, Nick? I like Emma's probably the best with the stars on the cap and stuff. That's because she looks... she's chibi. She's adorable. She's got the present for you. What about uh, uh, Asta? He's a screaming reindeer. If <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had acted the same way that Asta does, 
then he would have deserved to be ostracized by reindeer society. You would have been one of the, the reindeer being like, no, you can't play in our reindeer games. You're too loud and annoying. I don't like you. Fuck yeah. I would have been uh, Blitzen. I don't know. <laughs> you just want that because it sounds cool. It does. I mean, where do you want me to be? So, no, I'll be Prancer, Christ. <laughs> hey, Prancer is a very strong family name, okay? I'll have you know. <laughs> it's named after St. Prancer. Saints to dancing. <laughs> very effeminate skipping dancing, I'll have you know. No, 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 you don't understand. Prancer is Swedish for he who devours his enemies. <laughs> he who devours souls. <laughs> it's a pretty hardcore name, Nick. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it, uh, Emma is on the hunting grounds, still in this chapter, at Goody Pond. Uh, now knows the rules of everything, had a confrontation with uh, Luvis. Um, so we get a flashback um, from the perspective of uh, one of the cowering kids that uh, Emma saved earlier. And uh, basically there was an older person there, not the uh, one that's been talking with Emma and following her around and stuff, but a different person uh, who looks basically to be the most senior kid there, honestly. Um, and uh, when they all, all, when all of the newbies arrived, he was like, hey, everyone listen up. There's going to be monster uh, when the music plays, so you need to run, you need to hide. And everyone was just like, this is stupid. What are you talking about monsters? Come on, how are we going to believe that? I would have laughed so hard if it had, like, hard cut between these, you know, snotty-nosed brats, because, like, this is stupid, <sighs> to, like, them getting eaten by the monsters right, right after. I know that's gruesome as hell, but seriously, it's like, when kids, when kids get like this, I'm just like, oh, my God, will you fucking <laughs> show some goddamn respect? Um... So yeah, they have gotten away from the monsters and they're hiding in the woods now. Uh, Emma, the three kids that she saved, and uh, the nameless experienced kid who is really pissing Nick off because they still haven't introduced their goddamn selves after being around for like four chapters. Like, it at least became a running gag with the old geezer and he was like deliberately refusing to introduce himself. What the hell is this person's name? I have trouble... Is it a female? I don't know character? because I, they won't say their name, Chris. Well, the other reason I noticed is like there's very. It seems like there's distinct eyelashes underneath there's both eyes. There's distinct eyelashes and lips. There's short hair, but a kind of masculine build. It looks like it's hard to tell underneath the long ass heavy jacket. I can't tell, Chris. I have to use very vague terminology <laughs> like that per one person. This person. Person this new. I can't tell how old they are. I can't. <laughs> Ooh, Nick, you should be like the opening of Kingdom Hearts 2 where the word has just been taken away from your, your memories. So you just instead, you're like, and then came along. What? They took the word? And you just you just leave a blank space there every time you're supposed to say the fucking word. And then you find out it was photographs and it was fucking dumb. Detail. I don't recall this detail from my uh, explained. Nick, if I explained every stupid piece of bullshit in the Kingdom Hearts universe, I'd have lost you guys. There's no manga equivalent for, they stole the word photographs from us? How? I don't know. They don't explain it. They just did it once and never again. And why would you steal the word photograph from them? I don't know. I was busy getting a fucking job during that time in the game for some goddamn reason. <laughs> All right. So the experienced person 
literally smacks Emma across the head for doing something stupid. Uh, you're not endearing yourself to me, not no name. I can't even call you no name. Why? Because that one's taken by the old geezer. So fuck you. Uh, they lecture Emma specifically for not listening to them and even for uh, aggravating the most dangerous one of them all, the one with the hat. Hey, you don't get to use vague descriptive terminology. I know Lou's name because he said his name. Yeah, Mummo. Duke Mummoton. <laughs> Chris wasn't paying attention, but he said his name. Yeah. Uh so Emma gets a little bit of info from the experienced person. Uh, for example, all right, there's mon there's five monsters here who are hunting us, as well as their attendants. So there's more than five. You can't even like, you can't even be specific in that. Front. Uh, Emma gets learns that the hunt happens once every three days. Uh, she gets told you need we need to run and hide right now. They might be coming soon. A monster might attack us. But Emma's, of course, worried about the uh, kids that she just saved, particularly the one with the injured arm. And uh, he says, hey, no, it's going to be all right. You know, you guys risked your lives to save us. Um, and even, and also thinking to himself, even though I didn't believe them at that time, you still came and tried to save me. Well, he was going to leave you to die. Or she was. I can't tell. Um, but he says, I can run away. Don't worry. We'll get moving once we rest a bit. So I was like, all right, so we'll run in separate directions. Um, so what you, what you should do is you should head downwind and then hide. And if you're downwind, you're less likely to be, to be found by smell. Try not to leave footprints behind, giving typical, like, I am a hunter now advice. Uh, and as one last bit of advice, she says, if the monster comes looking for you, tell the monster to instead look and hunt for me. Say she's from Gracefield. You better hurry, or she might get hunted by another. Say that, and then it'll be okay. And then she says, my name is Emma. How about you guys? And they say, Theo, Monica, I'm Jake. And the older one says, nothing! <laughs> nothing! But this is a pretty good, uh, I, I like this moment from Emma though, because it shows despite her, you know, I will just be honest and upfront with my feelings to the old geezer that she still knows how to play the game now. She's learned how to do it. She can still manipulate people if she really needs to. And I like that because, you know, it helps keep her unique as a protagonist in jump. Um, she is not going to just be the straightforward, honest and, and every single uh, situation to the point of stupidity. She knows that she can be manipulative and uh, tricky at times. She's not dumb, but I, I do love that she, she sticks to her morals, that mm -hmm. it's not just let's find what the, the secret about this place is. She's also like, I'm saving people. I'm going to try to save as many people as I can. It's just a very admirable trait to her. And, I know previously she's needed people like Norman and Ray to reel her in because she will go way too far sometimes. She did finally have to like relinquish, all right, we'll let the, you know, two-year-olds and younger stay at the farm when we escape or whatever. But it'll be interesting to see how that applies here if, if someone's going to be like, if she does try to be like, I'm going to save everyone here or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's that, uh, 
she's uncompromising, but she's not stupid about it. Yes. She can, she's always willing to try and find the smart solution to a problem without compromising her morals. And uh, that's what she establishes to, uh, the person, which is like, look, I'm not going to die here. I can't die here, but I can't leave them alone. I'm not going to let them die without doing anything. Um, we could do a, get a bit of a catch up with the other hunters. The one that Emma attacked is really pissed off because he was attacked and it's like, I'm going to kill that one. Um, then we get a kind of weird thing going on with Luvis. And I will fully admit, I don't really understand what his thought process is here. Um, because he says to himself as he's walking around, he comes across the three kids uh, that uh, went a separate direction from Emma. He's thinking to himself, I will be the one who hunts you, referring to Emma. But not now. I um, think what he's trying to do is cause panic, because he doesn't seem to go after the kids at the end shot. We see them running away. And we see a shot of him gripping the axe but the axe but it's not as though he like tightens his grip or you see it like moving as though he's running after them i feel like he's almost just being like that slow walking like like murder like slasher villain right now and he mm -hmm. wants to just kind of cause panic to see if he can draw her out maybe but why is he saying not now and he also says go i'm going to have you become stronger and more delicious is he referring to the kids running away? I, I don't know what's going on. He's referring to Emma in that, because he doesn't care about the other ones. But what is he going to do to... Whatever. All right. Is he going to stop the hunters from trying to get her? Is he going to observe her? What? Hmm. It might be. Maybe he's going to try to stop them from trying to, like, gang up and kill her, because he's like, no, this, this fruit must ripen, or whatever. Hmm. It was confusing. So, um, I guess... Whatever. We'll find out later, I guess. So two stars out of ten. <laughs> it was a pretty good chapter uh, for Emma, definitely. Uh, I also like some of the stuff that uh, she's thinking to herself as she's kind of trying to make a plan. Uh, also, where she's like, um, this is really, really horrible what they're doing, toying with our lives like this. Um, she gets this big, I will never forgive them look on her face, too. So. All right. All right. Let's move on then to two chapters of Seven Deadly Sins, starting with chapter 246. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Chance meeting. Heh, <laughs> Chance. Almost like Chandler. He's still around. Uh, there's actually a cover page here, double color page, where we get to see the three demon sons, uh, along with uh, uh, Elizabeth, who's... Shrunk? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Or maybe it's just that angle where she's just like, she's curved in, but like her body's being pushed out. I don't know. Uh, so we start off with Estorosa, I think is his name. If I recall. Yeah, Estorosa. Which, I don't know why, this is such a weird reference for me to think of, but when I think of that name, I think Estorosa from fucking WWE, who was a very minor character for a very brief time. Do you mean S.A. Rios? That might be. Aha! I only played him in uh, No Mercy, and the only thing that's notable about him is that uh, Lita 
debuted as his valet and then mm-hmm. later on went on to become one of the most prolific women's wrestlers of all time. So he yeah. he himself is very irrelevant. But uh, that name, Esther Rosa, I don't know why it reminds me of that. There's not a T in his name, Chris. <laughs> Esther Rosa. Yes, there is. S.A. Rios. Esther Rosa, the character from Seven Deadly Sins, the manga we're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that one's that one's different. Yeah, I'm just saying it reminds me of that name. Okay. No, I totally get that. All right. Uh, so Esther Rosa wakes up because he has this dream where he sees Elizabeth and she's like, did you have your fight with a brother, your brother again? And he wakes up very upset and he, he gets out of his fucking regeneration pod and... There is a floating, like, lab lady who's just like, No, no! Yeah. No, no, Esmerosa, for shame, you know! I'm the one who nursed you back to health this whole time! And he's just like, Oh, you mean experimented on me? How long was I asleep for? She's like, Three or four days, you know, you little sleepyhead. But, hey, hey, I'm glad to see you're full of vim and vigor again. And we cut down, and he's like, What part are you addressing when you say that? As the speech bubble covers his dick, and she's like, You know? <laughs> And I, I want him to just be like, you know, morning wood is a very common thing, and it's actually a rather big problem for many men. We don't, we can't control what happens to us during those times, and it's judged for a, a stigma placed upon us that we can't control. Look, I'm gonna go take a piss. This is very inappropriate. You should really think about the way that you judge people. <laughs> also, I'm gonna rip a few babies apart along the way. That's what I do. I mean, <laughs> uh, so he picks up on his magic as. Melodius has returned as well, and essentially it's all three of them having this big reunion back at the uh, the big demon headquarters. Uh, Zeldris is just like, the traitorous sinner waltzing into enemy territory? How ballsy. And yeah, he brought that goddess in tow. Ha ha, that's rather careless. Well, the, ca- <laughs> the company of the pacifier demon, he's like, I was against this. I said we should eliminate this woman at once. Like, that's enough out of you, Chandler. Oh, but <laughs> uh, and essentially, there's a, a big showdown that happens as uh, Melodius kind of just bluntly states, "My intent here is simple. I'm going to become the Demon Lord, flat out." And Zelda's obviously like, "What? Fuck that noise!" And then Esterosa shows up. Did you say what? Yeah, Esterosa's <laughs> like, "I don't really care, but if we're going to fight over who gets to become the Demon Lord, I want in." But then he sees Elizabeth, and he's like. Second that, scratch that, I will remove myself in this fight, but I want her. And uh we get some interesting things because the uh the little lab lady is like, Oh you know and Chandra's like, Oh, this is perfect. Could this be any more perfect? Uh and he says, I didn't come here to front with my brother, so let me make two things clear. This is uh Valodius saying it. He says, I will become the demon lord, and I'm not handing Elizabeth over to anybody. So immediately Zeldris and Esterosa attack. So quickly, both of their handlers are just like, what the fuck? Where'd they go? They go to attack, and Melodius just fucking, he like, hockeys them, or like, just spirit waves them. Like, he just kind of forces them down with energy, and they're just pinned underneath it. Uh, he even stops Not Chandler. I forget, the other demon they introduced whose name I can't remember right now, because it's Not Chandler. Mustachio. Uh, he says, uh, this is between his brothers, back down. Uh, Chandler is moved to tears because his <laughs> his pupil is the one who's winning. And, uh, yeah, Zeldris is just like, I can't believe, I possess the power of the Demon Lord, yet I can't move an inch of my body. You know, what is this guy? And Melodius just ends the chapter by saying, if we're going to talk, 
First, we all need to settle down, don't you agree? Which leads us to chapter 247, Collecting. And this one's actually very simple, so we can get through this one pretty it quickly. Uh, essentially, Melodius explains that he wants to become the Demon Lord, but to do so, he needs to get that power. And essentially, the way the Demon Lord distributed his power onto the world was to make it so no one would be too powerful. He distributed that power via the Ten Commandments, these ten powers given out to people. So they need to collect the Ten Commandments, essentially the powers of that group. Gotta um, catch them all. Exactly. They literally, you can take the commandment out of people, and that's the power of it. So they mentioned they already have three from the three people who actually weren't truly loyal to the Demon Lord, Gauther, Droll, and guess something another. I forget his name. And uh, Grey Rose is already dead, or Grey Road. Uh, so Melodius is like, oh, I just took that back then as well, because I figured we might need it. <laughs> he just took it at some point. I guess. So, yeah. So they mention we need to collect the other six. And there's a specific note where Zeldris explains that you can't take it from somebody unless they willingly relinquish it, relinquish it, or unwilling to, or unable to fight for it. So you can't just take it from somebody without at least besting them in combat. And Melodius whispers something to Zeldris. We don't see exactly what it is because Zeldris is very uh, against this plan. But he whispers something to Zeldris, and Zeldris immediately goes ahead with it. So. We'll have to see what that is, but Melodius basically sends out Esterosa and Zeldris to collect the remaining seven, or not seven deadly sins, the remaining ten commandments, gather the power, and help him become the Demon Lord. And they do so, although it seems pretty clear Esterosa is going to be a shithead about this. Because he even acts, he's like, Probably. so can I just kill everybody? And Zeldris is like, yo, what are you talking about? There were allies and stuff. He's like, I'm just saying. I mean, like, you know, if they were already killed by someone else could theoretically, I just take the commandment to like, well, they're dead, so I guess they can't fight you, so yeah. It's like, excellent. <laughs> Sweet. And that's the chapter. So we have what uh, evil Melodius's plans are. It seems that we're not done with the Ten Commandments quite yet, uh, which is a little sad because we got a lot of closure for a lot of the Ten Commandments. Like, there are some out there who seem to be trying to live a, a quiet life now and things like that. Um, there are some that are statues, there are some that are prisoners. So, I guess it's kind of cool, we'll get to see what happens there. I don't imagine many of them are going to show it back up to be, like, relevant characters for too long. Some might hang around in that kind of, like, the way a lot of the Magic Knights still hang around, or Holy Knights, where they're, like, mm. going to be, like, tertiary characters. Uh, but some, like, Melaskula, I don't imagine they'll do anything with her. They'll just show up, like, fucking get her from Merlin... And then take the, the sin from her. Cause that chick's had like four fucking fights in the series at this point. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think they're gonna do more with her. Uh, it was kind of weird to get through these chapters because a lot of important stuff gets explained and set up for the future. But at the same time, I feel as though almost nothing was actually accomplished. Yeah. Uh, I had very little of an impression actually to take from them. Um, because it's just like, this is what we're gonna do next. And that's really it. And it was two chapters to do it. I'm really glad that these two chapters were released in a row, so I don't, so we didn't have this stretched out across two weeks. Yeah, it works out well for that manner. Um, and there is an element to it where you're just like, all right, we're doing like the collect them all kind of gimmick now, which is fine. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. I guess one element you can see wasn't there a point that they couldn't kill Melaskula or that would forever trap Melodius? 
in that form? Like, he would forever have his, like, good heart trapped? No, it was uh, Elise would die, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess that was it. I thought there was something, too, about Melodius, but maybe not. So, I guess we'll see. But um, mm-hmm. at least we know that some of those characters are around where the Seven Deadly Sins themselves are. Like, we know Meliskool is with uh, Merlin, so... This confirms, at least in some way, there's some sort of confrontation between those groups coming at some point. Yeah, that's it. Let's do Black Clover. <sighs> All right, Black Clover, page 137, Mary Eliana versus Raya the Disloyal. <sighs> I sense that enthusiasm. Mary Eliana fights Raya the Disloyal. Uh, Asta and Zora sit there and do nothing. Uh, basically, Raya uses a bunch of different types of magic. He talks some trash. Um, every time he gets punched, he uses, you know, his copy magic to use healing magic to heal his wounds. Uh, he throws a bunch of different things at Mary Eliana. She explodes them with fire. Uh, she punches. She fires. Um, You're forgetting, Nick. You're forgetting a very important thing. After every one of them, she goes, next! Boom! Next! Boom! Next! Um. So, uh, Zora and Asta, uh, are analyzing. Well, Zora is analyzing. Asta is observing, let's just say. Um, Zora's like, she is not as unbelievable as the rumors say. I did some checking around, and from what I hear, she says things like the capital is uh, the capital is stuffy, or I want to eat meat from wild animals, and lives in the woods and plains over 300 days a year. She's a real wild woman. I heard a rumor that she steeped herself in the mana of the natural world, and while she was living out there, her mana skin reached a higher level. Those monster moves of hers, I guess the rumor was true. And then he analyzes what Raya's magic is all about. Uh... So he's like, okay, so when he's got one spell activated, he can't use another spell with a different attribute. And as proof, he lifted his invisibility in order to fire a spell. But even so, most users would be no match for a guy that overpowered. But this time... And Asimio is just going like, Lady Siska Leon is awesome. Can I steal any of this, even a little bit? Uh, well, she does seem to do a lot of close quarters combat, so probably... Also, she is breaking a lot of the spells, which you tend to do too, so probably. Um, so Raya is like, alright, let's try this then. And he pulls out Asta's sword. He copies the anti-magic sword. And, um, we get a flashback as he is swinging the giant halberd, the giant sword thing, cleaver, down, to a conversation he had with Leashed way back in his backstory. Where Leashed is, you know, like, oh, you got copy magic. And Raya's like, huh, I'm empty inside, so I guess it's pretty much perfect for me. And he's just like, don't say that, Raya. You're kinder than anybody. You look at people carefully, and you like everyone. That's probably why your magic is like that. You can't use it without watching people closely. It's a kind magic. And Raya is like, no, you're wrong, Leashed. I'm a liar and a slacker, and I'm not loyal. Even so, Leashed called me kind. He was the one who was really kind. And you people tricked him and killed him. Look at how many of you crawled out. Hordes of you. How dare you? Uh, and we see him, like, wandering through a village of people with corpses everywhere. 
And he concludes this whole thing by saying, Humans, I will kill every last one of you. And uh, Mary Oliana punches the sword, and uh, it breaks. And she's just like, it's just a visual copy. It looks like you couldn't imitate anti-magic. Shouldn't you have been able to know you weren't? Ooh, never mind. So then Raya says, if I had managed to copy it, her fist would have shattered. Besides, the feel of this mana is this woman's strength is it's not just the royal's magical power. It's a strength I don't know. The strength of humans. She surpassed mana skin and is controlling mana across a whole area. And then Mary Eliana punches him a lot, I think. Uh, she fires a bunch of fire at him and uh, knocks him away as the chapter ends. All right. I don't like Mary Eliana, guys. Um... There were some people who kind of were like saying like, oh, she's like the new Urza for We Might Recap. Well, no, um, because her characterization at least is consistent, which is she is a crazy uh, person who battles a lot and likes to fight a lot. And so she is, you know, whatever. It's not just like, why is she so powerful? Well, because she believes in her friends. Uh, she decides that she likes friendship. Uh, also, it's because she's Urza. You know, there is... An effort here to say, like, yeah, she's just crazy weirdly powerful because of weird shit that she does. A more apt comparison, I would say, is to compare her to Zaraki uh, from Bleach. Because she's a battle-mad person. She takes a very straightforward approach to fighting, uh, always on the offense, uh, challenges people to bring their best, and then crushes them. Um, I really like Zaraki. I don't like Mario Leona. Um, and I don't really know exactly what the difference between them is. I think I can actually explain it. It's because in Bleach, you had Ichigo. You had a character who was a hero you admired. So Zarake was an anomaly in that sort of series. But in Black Clover, there isn't a character with that sort of vulnerability or hero's journey that there is with like an Ichigo or somebody who you could kind of follow. Everyone in Black Clover is kind of a Zaraki in a way. Like, Asta's not that far off. He just has other people higher than him on the other good guy's side that he kind of has to stay behind. But, you know, Zarakai's different because he beats everybody, but everybody in Black Clover beats all the other good guys. Or bad guys, rather. So contextually, it's different. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the fact that everybody in the series, like, a lot of the good guys feel a little bit like this. Like, Asta, Luck, Yami... They all feel, you know, they all feel a little bit like this, at least to some extent. So I think that's why she kind of doesn't strike as unique of a chord as I think Zaraki does. I think that, yeah, I think in general, it's just a matter of like the villains in Black Clover don't get as many moments as they should to have the advantage. We've talked about this in the past, but you know, like I'm going to, you know, say something good to Black Clover's credit. Um, oh gosh, Land. Was it Landris, Finral's brother? Langris, I think. He seemed genuinely intimidating because we saw him frickin' fuck up Finral. Uh, he was more than a match for uh, any one person on Asta's team, and it was only because, you know, Zora helped out Asta, and Asta took over from there that they were able to actually defeat him. Um, and even then, they only drew with him because of the way that the, that the competition worked. But... 
it's again going back to it's like is anyone from the eye of the midnight sun actually going to like win anything <laughs> <laughs> i want to i, I want to start off with a compliment about this chapter because there's one aspect i really liked and it was a small touch but i do like how they they framed this little backstory that comes up about leashed and raya you know i like that raya starts it by being like copy magic i guess it so it makes sense and Leashed explains it in a very positive light of like, no, you're kinder than anybody. You look at people carefully, you observe everyone, you like them. Your magics like it because you care about people. It's a very kind magic. I like the way you frame the idea of like a duplicating magic or, you know, a mimicking magic that way. And it then abruptly changes as we then see this image of presumably when nobles from the Clover Kingdom or whatever the situation is annihilated Leashed's entire people and Raya is kind of walking along the corpses and his humanity is twisted. He's become insane. He's like, no, you're wrong, Leashed. I'm a, I'm a liar and a slacker. And even so, you believed in me and I will kill all the humans for what they did to you. Like, they, they built this idea that members of the Midnight Sun, like the top loyal ones. Well, I guess it was really just Veto and this guy because, uh, Fauna was mind controlled. Uh, but that they were loyal it, wholly to Leash, that they truly believed in him. And they like they they share like a deep affection for him, and how what happened to him kind of twisted them. And I like this idea of of like, explaining Raya this way. Like he has this kind of emphasis built up that's like, no, you're magic. You're 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 looking at it the wrong way. You're really a good guy. And then this this horrible tragedy happens to somebody you treat him with that kindness. So he twists it that way. It's unfortunate though that it comes in a chapter in which he just gets kind of schooled by everybody else. Like this is the kind of explanation I would have loved maybe ten chapters ago or something like that. Something to give us like a build up to when this guy fights somebody that we can kind of see a little bit interesting. Having it happen now, it's just like it's cool there, but it falls into a problem that a lot of Black Clover villains have where they just especially when it comes to the eyes of the Midnight Sun, they're just not intimidating by the end of it. Uh, Veto, I think, is the only one who really felt like he had, like, a challenge to him. Um, but, like... Well, even then, like, if Yami had showed up from the beginning, he would have just freaking destroyed him. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean... I, I, I'm toning myself back. I, I, I realize... It's similar to how I reached that point with uh, Bleach, where I was like, look, I'm just not going to get the answers from the series I want. I'm not going to get it. It's not going to do what I want it to. So getting, like, upset about it each week is not going to do it. Mm-hmm. I've reached that point with Black Clover where I'm just like, yeah, okay. Mary Leona, I don't like her, but she beat this guy in, like, a chapter or two. Uh, it is what it is. It's not It's not my deal, but some people dig it. Um, I'm not 100% that the fight is over. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, though, <laughs> given the way that the three top people from the island of Sun have open treated where they you know literally defeated nobody <laughs> well no that's not fair veto did momentarily cripple uh kohaku not kohaku uh kohana and her brother uh and then they were healed immediately <laughs> the next time that we saw them um people are bringing it up in the chat so, koharu was that it whatever She's not an important character. I mean, she's only like one tier above Rebecca, Chris. And she's not going to be an important character. Rebecca's never going to be an important character, guys. Let's be honest. Uh, We did get, uh, because people are bringing up, there was a a one-page bonus manga that was in this issue of Jump at the very end of it, uh, where we see, like, back into uh, the Fuego Leon siblings' uh, backstory, where apparently Mario Leona and Fuego Leon are teenagers. Leo is three. And really, I was like, oh, yeah, we're bringing him here. He's old enough now. See, 
This this gorge, lions are said to knock their children down a gorge and only raise the one strong enough to climb back up. All right, so let's throw him down there. And then there's Leon just like silently thinking to himself, maybe I should train Leo instead. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, I could totally, like, understand why people find her funny. Like, it's not like I, I'm completely object to the idea or anything like that. She just doesn't do it for me for whatever reason. I just don't find her particularly amusing. Let's finish up with One Piece, guys. All right. So remember when when Carrot was talking about the full moon? I guess the payoff was happening a little bit sooner than we thought it might. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I don't know where this chapter starts. Okay, well, to, to start things off, we actually don't begin with um, the main straw hats on the sunny but rather with Luffy, who apparently is confronting Katakuri again. Their fight is still going on, and uh, they're going to clash again. There's a little bit of an exchange between them where Katakuri says, Ah, what are you going to do? Are you going to submit to me? Are you going to beg for mercy? And then Luffy's like, No, I'm here to win! And Katakuri's like, That wasn't one of the options! <laughs> you, you don't can't choose Dean out of the above! <laughs> you, you don't listen to rules and explanations! This was a multiple-choice test, not a write-your-own-answer test. So, then we cut over to uh, Big Mom's fleet pursuing the Sunny. They've started uh, firing cannonballs at them. Possessed cannonballs, of course, um, which go off-target because uh, Big Mom's not really in control of them anymore, which is a cool little uh, note I like about this, where, yeah, Big Mom's gone completely insane right now so of course she can't control her assorted army of different living things um let's see here carrot points out oh we've been cut off by another fleet that's not good and we see you know shots of uh, uh charlotte's other kids uh, daifuku and smoothie uh who are backing up big mom pursuing them um, there's a weird kind of thing that Perospero says as he's riding around with Big Mom, because, uh, you know, he's communicating with the other siblings, like, hey, are you sure that we should, like, be dedicating this entire force to getting these people? And he's like, yes! And then he says, Mama's going to be heading for Pudding and Cacao Island after this. And then he just goes, hmm, is it, me, is it just me or have you lost weight, Mama? Well, she actually does look thinner. And I think this is meant to show that I guess if she's in one of these hunger pangs for a while, she starts really like ripping mm. through her weight in a way. Like it starts running through calories because yeah. she's rampaging so much. Hmm. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Remember, there was a couple shots we've seen at different points that have seemed to suggest like Big Mom's weight kind of fluctuates a lot. That seems like in to... that flashback last chapter where we were like she looks different. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's an aspect into it. Hmm. Uh. So all the straw hats are on the ship, and they're like, well, crap, we are completely trapped here. What are we going to do? Uh, and Chopper starts getting a rumble ball ready, and he says, well, okay, I can, you know, raise some hell. Uh, you know, get me close enough, and I can jump over, and I can try and can, monster form it. Can I note one thing here? I know it's been established already. I know that we know this guy has this power, but I love Jinbei's explanation. That looks like Daifuku's ship ahead. He'll be dangerous. He controls the genie. <laughs> 
And I just, I don't know why, I love that fucking explanation of just like, he controls a genie. I know he has a genie devil fruit. I know that's a thing. We've already seen it before. Comes out of his belt. Yeah. I, I know that. But I just love that, that that line is so fucking wonderful to me. Well, watch out. He controls a genie. I also like the line that Daifuku has not long after that, which is, all right, this time use the cannonballs without faces. <laughs> it makes and the sense. Like, they're like, oh, come on. Like, maybe we shouldn't use the cannonballs that are easily duped right now. Um, so, calling down from the crow's nest, Carrot says, I bet I can help from here. And uh, she says, tonight's a full moon. And, uh, Jinbei immediately knows what he's, what's going on, and he says, wait, you're going to turn Sulong. Do you have the training for it? And Carrot says, the, yeah, Pedro helped her with it. And what would Pedro say in a situation like this? I'll handle this. Plus, I am a musketeer. And she looks up at the full moon, and immediately she starts transforming. Her hair gets longer, her tail gets uh, larger, she starts growing claws from her, from her limbs, and uh, she howls. Of course she howls, because it's a werewolf-looking thing. And uh, everyone's like, what the hell is happening? And uh, she is transformed into this, like, just taller, large, hairy rabbit. Uh, uh, she, Go ahead. I, I was recording notes for this, and I tried to think of what I was trying to think of. I know that is a reference for this, but the only thing I could think of is, like, when Yugi transforms into Yami Yugi, it's, it feels like this is a transformation where she just turns into, like, an older, more adult version of herself. And I feel it's like there's... A little bit, yes. Like, what's... Isn't there, like, a female version of that, though? Like, I'm trying to think of the explanation, like, uh, of the reference to it. Isn't there, like, a, a character in something who, like, transforms, she just turns into, like, a slightly older-looking version of herself or a more mature version of herself? I yes. I cannot think of what it is, though. Um, Washu does it in Tenshi. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Someone's, someone is suggesting Link from Ocarina of Time, but uh, Link's also a guy, so I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of Reborn, because there are a couple characters of Reborn who used to shoot bazookas at themselves that would make them age 10 years. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of a little bit. Uh, One of the guys... Uh, on uh, Daifuku's ship says, Ah, she has just turned into a Sulong, a moon lion. Um, and then she... Captain Daifuku, you should face her. You control a genie. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, but I'll have to make sure to use the cannonballs without faces. <laughs> um, so Kara jumps off of the crow's nest and just streaks across the distance between their ships. They're like, Huh, she's going to fall into the water. Nope, she just curves upward, flies into the onto the ship, starts fucking people up, bouncing around, zapping people with her electricity. Looks like she bites someone at some point, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, she kicks ass for a little bit. Daifuku is still confident, though. He says, ah, you think you can literally fight every last sailor in this fleet to stop us, little girl? Your ship's gonna sink in the meantime. You're, so cease your pointless resistance. And you just realize she's carrying the wheel of the ship now. <laughs> just tore the helm out of the, out, out of the ship. Um, and, uh, the chapter ends with her just kind of going, tee It's, um, I like this in a lot of respects. I like the, you know, little bit of playfulness at the end showing that, oh, she's not just some horrible wild animal who, you know, goes berserk and stuff. She's still basically carrot. 
Um, and I like that it's not just like, oh, she's a whole different person when she transforms. At the very least, there are hints of her original personality there. Um, and also, I'm really glad that Carrot got to play a really important role in this whole conflict. Um, I know that we were all expecting that she would get some sort of payoff at some point, but uh, this is definitely a much more satisfying payoff if this is literally the extent of everything that she does for the entire rest of the series. Still a much bigger payoff than a lot of characters we've had to come and go uh, that have briefly allied with the Straw Hats, like Rebecca, for example. So. But Nick, Rebecca's never going to be an important character in this series or in any. It's never going to be a series with an important character called Rebecca at this point. It seems that way now, it does. Yes. Curse name. Yeah, it's 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 cool. Uh, I don't know why I was expecting something a little less elegant than this. I guess I like I'm just used to the idea of like when someone's like a werewolf sort of thing of it being more primal and savage, but. I guess that really doesn't fit with the Oda MO for this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I can dig the new design. Uh, it didn't blow me away. It didn't really do anything surprising to me. It was kind of just like she's stronger, faster, and that's pretty much it, which is fine. Um, and she can fly, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> she can hang upside down with her skirt, not moving any one direction at all. Uh, but I'll be curious to see, like, if the minks remain, like, a relevant care like a relevant species for the rest of this series or not um i'm somewhat interested to see if that's going to be an aspect or if they're kind of here and this is it and from here on in we we move on yeah uh very straightforward chapter um i mean it was just literally the confrontation between kaikuri and luffy at the very beginning and then we're in trouble Kara gets them out of it so uh, so that it should do it then. That is everything for this week of Jump. Uh, let's go over our favorites this week, I guess. Favorite series and MVP. Uh, favorite series for me this week is We Never Learn. I, I thought it was a fantastic chapter. I loved every moment of it. I thought it was, uh, excellent all the way around and, uh, definitely deserves it. And I'm gonna go with Dr. Stone, uh, for probably very different reasons. <laughs> um, it's the, because it was silly, basically. It was uh, very funny and introduced a uh, new twist into things. Uh, for character of the week... Hmm. You go ahead. I'm going to try to think on this one for a moment. It, it was definitely a more difficult to think of one for this, because, uh, you know, like, oh, a, char a, a particular character that was really interesting. Honestly, it might be Ginro for me, just because of the ridiculously awful person that he was in Dr. Stone. Um, but I was impressed enough by character that I want to give it to her. Uh, I really like having the payoff of her being around with this crew the entire time. There was, you know, the reminder that, oh yeah, she's here with them a few chapters ago, particularly after Pedro died. And uh, it seems as though she was, you know, finally properly utilized uh, as a temporary member of the crew. So I really liked her uh, stepping up. Yeah, Takamoto. Uh, it's a little... I, I just think I like that chapter the most of any this week, and I think she had a good uh, role in it. I like that little bit at the end, too, with her being like, aren't you going to start calling me by my first name? All right. So that is going to do it for the Recap, everybody. 
Uh, thank you for joining us. We record the show here on twitch.tv slash and smashcast.tv slash Normally, Wednesdays around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but sometimes we do need to change things up. So to stay updated, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, the official podcast account is at WMRPodcast. And you can also follow our hosts at RoloT and at YRulerOfTime. Be sure as well to check out our past episodes on Weekly Manga Recap at Podbean.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and on YouTube. And if you do that stuff, be sure to leave a comment and rating and all that good stuff. That way that you can help us to rise to the top of the hobby section on iTunes and defeat our rivals, the Woodworkers Association of Podcasts, or whatever the hell they call themselves. Be sure to send feedback, ask us questions, suggest future manga for us to read via email, and send that stuff to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. We should be finishing up on uh, our latest suggestion, King on Ashra, uh, next week. So uh, we'll have another one we're going to start on right after that. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Uh, last week we did commentary on uh, the last three episodes of Neo Yokio. We should be doing a Q&A pretty soon. We'll have that up soon as well. And uh, in particular, we want to thank you guys who stuck with us through the rather bizarre uh, turn of events that happened over the past week and a half or so with uh, Patreon implementing a new policy and then not. Um, we really appreciate it, uh, you guys sticking by us through that time. Yes, and in case you haven't seen or heard it yet, if you go over to Patreon right now, we have a preview of what we're looking to do for our new uh, Ultimate Level tier. So if you want to get a glimpse at that, it's free for everybody for this uh, this uh, test that we kind of put out there so everybody can come and listen to it mm-hmm. and just see if you dig it or not. Uh, yeah, and let us know what you think about that stuff. Yes, we're, we're taking all feedback from it, and uh, we're looking to make it so that, you know, when we implement this tier... It's something that is, you know, a lot of really awesome stuff for you guys, you know. So give us any of your thoughts and, and let us know what would make it the best possible thing for you guys. All right. And uh, special thanks as well to the guys who helped make the podcast what it is. Our title card artist, Steve Mann, and Infamous Planet, who is not our title card artist. What does he do again? I don't know. He's British. Oi, call blimey. I do all sorts <laughs> of stuff for you guys. I do's. That's going to do it. We'll see you guys uh, next week then. Yeah. Yes. I think. Yes. That's how it goes. Yes. That is usually how the weekly podcast works. Shit, you learn something new every day. (gasps) 